nobody is going to save us. Um, we have to save ourselves. We're the, we're the, we're, we are the best of the best of the best if we're still here doing, the, doing this work. Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, founder of Grapevine Health and your host of the Grapevine Health Podcast, a podcast highlighting stories, health insights, and experiences of community members. We started this podcast because too often discussions and decision-making about health and the healthcare system don't include perspectives from the people we serve. So listeners, if you have a personal story or an experience from working in the community or on the front lines of healthcare, Contact us, and we might have you on the show. I'm talking to Dr. Roger Mitchell, who's here to give us inside information about what it's like to be a chief medical examiner during a pandemic. so excited for this conversation we're having today with uh, DC's chief medical examiner, Dr. Roger Mitchell. How are you, Dr. Mitchell? Hey, Dr. Lisa, how are you? Good. Thanks for coming on. You know, I know there's a lot going on, but I, I always love listening to you. And I think the public would love listening to you and, and hearing from you, especially given your role in this pandemic right now. Uh, but before we get into that, why don't you, um, just for people who don't understand the role of a medical examiner, tell us what you do. Yeah, so the role of the medical examiner is to establish cause and manner of death. So we do death investigations throughout the city or wherever that medical examiner lives and, and, and works. And this work that we do is functionally for uh, cases that are not natural. So homicides, suicides, accidents, undetermined cases, um, we investigate. So at the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner in DC, there are about over 100 um, employees. We have the toxicology lab, we have the death investigation group who takes all the calls and responds and takes pictures at scenes, at death scenes. Uh, we have a medical examiner transport team that picks up the individuals and make sure that they get to our office. We have a group of physicians and a group of autopsy support staff that helps do the, um, the surgery, the autopsies in the, in the autopsy suite. Uh, and then we have an admin group. We also have a fatality review committee that does disability fatality review. We do um, opioid fatality review as well as violence fatality review and child fatality review. So we are a busy organization, a busy system. And uh, one of the other things that we do is when there's a public health issue, um, a public health emergency, we stand up to support any public health emergencies. How has the pandemic changed what you do, though? What, what are you seeing? Well, the pandemic, you know, on a daily basis before the COVID um, outbreak, we were seeing three to five cases um, a day come into our office, actually bringing them into our office, three to five cases. Meaning not COVID. Not COVID. COVID. This is before COVID. COVID. 
um, after COVID, uh, we, we were averaging, you know, in early goings of the day, of the time, we were averaging maybe about five to eight COVID-related cases that we were bringing in. We got up to 20 um, at our height um, of COVID-related deaths. And then um, now we're at averaging about four to five cases a day. So you can imagine the caseload going from three to five to 25, 30 on the, on the case list. And then now we're back down to about 10 to 15 cases on the case list every day, um, the majority of which are, are, are still, or half of which are still COVID-related deaths. So, um, so it's changed us quite a bit uh, because what we feel is our role is, you know, the fatality management. So hospitals in our area don't have to worry about managing the fatalities on top of managing and trying to save lives. So black and brown people are dying at much higher rates um, from COVID. Uh, than the rest of the population. So what do you think is causing this? Uh, what, what are you noticing that might help explain why black and brown people are dying at higher rates? Well, black and brown people dying at higher rates is nothing new um, as, as it relates to just general disease and or, or injury, quite frankly, in the country. Um, there's always been equity issues and disparity issues in communities of color, particularly African-American communities. So I think you have to even start before COVID if you are going to have a viable answer to your question. You have to talk about inequities in access uh, of education, economics, housing, um, healthcare disparities uh, and access to healthcare and preventative medicine. We have to talk about research portfolios and what the age, gender, race of clinical research looks like. You know, African-Americans are underrepresented in clinical research when they're trying to find cures for disease and, and, and utilizations for medication. You know, you have to reach back to the Tuskegee experiment and how the Tuskegee experiment has impacted how African Americans view healthcare and whether or not healthcare is in the best interest of the African American community. So you we gotta you gotta reach back to, you know, institutional racism and, you know, the fact that doctors um, were part of reviewing slave bodies to see whether or not slave bodies were adequate enough to do the work on plantations, right? I know, there's a lot there. Yeah, so I mean, that's, you gotta go all the way back there. And now you understand why African-American communities have higher levels of diabetes and hypertension and obesity and sleep apnea. And then now COVID um, likes to um, will show its head in those that are immunocompromised or have those particular issues. And so there, therein lies the disparity. So I, I was having a conversation with a community member a couple days ago, and we were talking about racism and how it contributes to poor health outcomes. And when we use the term racist or racism, um, a lot of the people immediately take themselves out of the, the conversation because they think, well, I'm not racist, so what you're saying doesn't apply to me. How would you communicate these messages to people who think, well, because I'm not racist, 
I don't have to engage with what you're saying. Well, I like, I like the fact that in this time, we don't have to be silent about racism, right? So a lot of us, particularly those of us that have been in the professional community, those of us that are physicians like you and I, you know, we've been squeamish about calling racism and using the R word, right? Particularly in majority of communities and, and maybe not you and I, but, but definitely our colleagues, right? And so, um, so this, this time gives us license to call racism and look at the legacy of racism. But I would say this to anyone who says that they're not racist. The next question is, are you anti-racist? Right? Because it's not enough to be, to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist. You have to be an abolitionist to not like slavery. Right? You can't just say, oh, I don't, I don't think slavery is good, but yet, you're, you're feeling and enjoying all of the, the comforts that come with slavery. You have to be an abolitionist in order for you to be counted in the number of people who are going against slavery. And it's the same thing with racism. What advice do you give the community member? What is their role in addressing COVID, these COVID disparities? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, COVID is real. You know, um, we've we've seen over 570 bodies come through my office since uh, March 20th. Did you say 570? No, I'm sorry, I lied. 592 since March. Wow! All COVID. All COVID. Those are my COVID deaths. In DC, and we're a small city. Yeah. That's it. DC residents 483, right? So the 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 other hundred and so were Maryland and Virginia residents that came and died in our hospitals. The majority African-American elderly individuals. I saw that it's 80% of the deaths in DC are black people. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, well, about 75%. And what percentage of them are elderly? And how are you defining elderly? Well, it depends on what you want to talk about. As far as age groups, you know, 10% or 50 to 59 um, 60 to 69 or 24%, 70 to 79, 25%, and 80 plus is 37%. So if we're talking about anyone over 50, you're talking about 90, 96% is over 50 years old. Wow. And what percent would you, if you, if the cumulative number over 70, how many, what percentage over 70 are the deaths? Oh, over 70, we're talking about 70%. So we're, we're talking about the protection of our elderly, of our mothers, our mimoms, um, our aunties, you know, our pop pops and protecting them. And so if I'm speaking directly to the community, yeah, you 25, 30 year old, you 19, 17, yeah, you might just get a cough and a sniffle and a headache and not feel well and be like, what is that? And shake that off because you haven't been wearing a mask and you haven't been socially distanced and you've been, you've been going and, and doing whatever you're doing. Um, but you can, you're coming home to your grandma. Uh, you're coming home to your mother. And, and that's where, where there's a problem, right? And so particularly now when stay at home is, we're in phase one of the the release in 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 dc you know you really still have to wear your masks you still have to wash your hands you still want a social distance uh, particularly to the vulnerable population so you know you know we got to take care of ourselves there's nobody coming like like there's nobody coming that you know nobody's coming on a white horse nobody's 
galloping in and saying, we got you, like nobody's doing that. And so it's so important for us to take responsibility for ourselves um, and our freedom and, and engage in a way that ensures our freedom and our health for the future. There's nobody that's going to save us. Um, we have to save ourselves and engage ourselves. So what's interesting, you know, this is the last question I want to ask you. And, you know, it's a little bit of an introspective one. It's related to what you're saying. So despite all the negativity, all the challenges, you know, we're amidst a pandemic. Hopefully none of us will ever have to live there again. And it's been, right, you know, we've been on an emotional roller coaster. But there are silver linings. And for me, the silver lining has been, I'm someone who, and I'm writing about this right now, um, the hypocrisy of being a, a doctor who gives out health information and helps people understand how to eat or how to improve or how to exercise. I used to teach exercise, but I have not been doing these things until over the last few years, several years, actually, I've just been slowly putting on the weight. But this, you know, the stay home orders, uh, the sort of shelter in place, it has forced me to have some introspection about what's going on, Dr. Lisa. So um, I actually have started cooking at home. So in the past, I thought, well, I'm just going to order out. It's easier. I can order something that's healthy. But now I've started cooking. I actually enjoy it. And I started doing some exercise and a little bit of breathing and, and yoga, a little bit every day. And I'm starting to notice the changes. So tell me what your silver lining has been. The silver lining is, is that we all have hope, right? So the silver lining is, is that if, if you have a heart to change, you can change, right? And that, that, that change is individual, that changes family, that changes community, that changes society. And if you have a if you have the the opportunity to change, um, then you will, and and you can. Um, there's nothing about what is going on that we can't change. There's nothing about who we are that we can't be better and be different. I am not the same person I was even yesterday. You know, Lisa, if I'm I'm intentional about now, I'm not the same person now that I've spoken to you. But let me say this real quick. Uh, I was telling someone else, I said, the black people that are still here, we're like superheroes. After 400 years, now let's, let's talk about after the transatlantic slave trade, after 400 years of oppression, slavery, Jim Crow, police excessive use of force, discrimination, barriers, loans, not being able to get for housing, just all of it. And now we're still, we're like superheroes. We're the, we're, the, we're we are the best of the best of the best if we're still here doing, the, doing this work. And now it's time for us to create an environment for us to do this last piece. This is the, this is the last piece. You, me, our generation, that X generation where they were putting our, our mothers and fathers in jail for crack cocaine. Uh, uh, the X Gen that 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 right before the millennials, we're, we're, we are the we are the next leaders of this of this country in a way that can usher ourselves into a true freedom. But that true freedom and true sovereignty has to require us to do the work. 
it has, we have to do the work. And so what does that mean? That means that we're the bootstraps that our people have been looking for, right? It is our job to serve our people and not worry about how much money we're making. Now you got to make money so you can serve your people, but you make money to serve your people. You gain property to serve your people. You use your talent to serve your people. Everything has to be to serve our people in a way that allows us to be free from all of these diseases, all of these persecutions, and then fight the good fight. So that's a long silver lining, but, but I'm encouraged. Yeah, but there was a lot there for us to, t- to walk away with. There's a lot for us to uh, consider, Dr. Mitchell. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. And I'm sure everybody who was listening agrees with me that you are such a dynamic speaker and so full of insight. So we really appreciate you uh, talking to us today. No, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. That was Dr. Roger Mitchell, Chief Medical Examiner of Washington, D.C. We had a wide-ranging discussion about his work, the pandemic, and health and resiliency in the Black community. Thanks for listening to the Grapevine Health Podcast. Our producer is Nicholas Elias. Please like us on social media, You can find us at Grapevine Health on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Health Grapevine. Until next time, I'm Dr. Lisa, signing off.